0: Genesis chapter 15, let me read as you follow along. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you, your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then Abram believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, "I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it." He said, "O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it?" So he said to him, "Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon." Then he brought all these things to him, and cut them in two and laid them each uh, and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, "'Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you... You will go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. They came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land." From the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the uh, Kadmonite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashite and the Jebusite. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that the word comes from a trustworthy, reliable, faithful God. Give us an unshakable confidence, we ask, in the word that you have spoken to us, and the word that you have shown us. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we were in Genesis 14. Abram rescues Lot from uh, this four-king alliance, comes back, has a blessing pronounced over him by this Melchizedek figure, this king of Salem. And along with that blessing and the reminder of God's promised reward, Abram refuses the reward that's offered to him by the king of Sodom. Sort of a, a spiritual high point, if you will, by the time you get to the end of Genesis 14. Not only has Abram accomplished something significant, but he's actually showed a tremendous amount of spiritual insight to be able to resist what in any other circumstance would be his for the taking, this reward for his efforts or for his, his trials. And so in one sense, we're, we're almost not prepared for the way that Genesis 15 opens up for us. That is to say that after Abram has this significant little military victory, after he has received this, um, this heightened blessing pronounced on him by Melchizedek, after he has resisted the tempting offer of the king of Sodom, we open up on chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear Abram, I am a shield to you, your reward will be very great. Why what what does he tell Abram? Don't fear. What is, what is He worried about? After everything that happened in chapter 14, what would He have to be uptight about? He's untouchable. But the, the flow of the story, the dialogue between God and Abram seems to reveal what it is that God has in mind when He tells Abram not to fear. Abram, don't fear. You're, I'm a shield to you. I'll defend you. I'll protect you. Your reward will be very great. And notice what Abram comes back with in verse 2. O oh Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? I think that if we put these pieces together, what Abram is concerned with, what Abram is fearful of, what he's worrying about is probably not, first and foremost, any threats that surrounding peoples or tribes or kings present to him. What he's most concerned about is the fact that he is continuing to move through this life with the promise of God, with the promise that He is going to be blessed, made into a great nation. And yet, as he looks around at his life, he does not seem to be making any progress or any headway to that fulfillment. The man is 75 years old when God's promise comes to him, he's already running behind Where he ought to be if you're going to have many descendants. If you don't have many descendants by the time you're 75, odds are pretty good you aren't going to get them. At 75, he obeys, he goes to this land, sight unseen. He trusts, he believes, he's walking, he's waiting, but time keeps ticking. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And if you go back and if you look at where Abraham was when he entered into the land at 75 to where he is right now in the land, there's no discernible difference, there is no discernible change that has come to Abram. Everything is the same. Hey, but don't worry, Abram, your reward's coming. And it's obvious that Abram is not thinking in, in terms of earthly material reward. In one sense, he, there has been God's blessing in prosperity, a sign that God is with him, is being faithful. Abraham is in one sense prospering. His possessions are growing. His servants are successful in all that they're doing. But notice what Abraham points to is not any sort of material temporal reward, but the heavenly reward that has been promised Him. You tell me, God, that I stand to gain much. I am waiting to receive what it is that You have promised to me. And yet, when I look around, I don't see this promise taking shape. I don't see fulfillment on the horizon everything today looks very much like it did yesterday and the year before that and the year before that. What in the world do you have to give me if you're not going to make good on your promise? You, You see where Abram is coming from? Can you identify with Abram in any way? If you are a Christian of any amount of time... One of the uneasy tensions that we all run into is that as we go through the Scriptures and as we go through the Word, we find promise after promise after promise after promise after guarantee after guarantee, assurance, confirmation that all of this is going to be different, all of this is going to be made new. And yet, like Abram, oftentimes we hear that promise being made, we're reminded of it, We rehearse it, but when we look at the reality of life on the ground, there doesn't seem to be much that's changing in such a way that it looks like we're on the cusp of this grand fulfillment. What do you do when you're in a situation like that? Maybe even so, the bigger question is, what does God do? When his children come to him with these kinds of questions, it is, it is tremendously encouraging. By the way, we need to put this out there before we even go any further. It is tremendously encouraging that Abraham, not once but twice, questions God about where this promise is, how is this going to be fulfilled, and do you notice God does not thunder from heaven and squash him like a bug. Where do you get off, Abram? Why don't you just shut up and just let me do my work? When I'm ready to give you fulfillment, I'll give you fulfillment. If I need your questions or opinion, I'll rattle your cage. Then you talk to me. Until then, shut it. That's not the way that God approaches it. God appears to be, at the very least, more than willing to entertain Abram's questions. More than willing to put up with Abram's doubts and confusion. But notice what it is that God does in response to Abram's question. In verse 4, after verses 2 and 3 where Abram has asked the question, we read in verse 4, Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, and then, what God said. Don't miss this. Even the way that verse 4 opens, then behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Behold is one of those little throwaway, well, in our mind anyway, throwaway words that you have. It just sounds sort of old and archaic. Behold, a son will be born. Behold this, behold that. Right? It's, 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 it's an interjection, so to speak, that, if, uh, if we were to make it a little bit more, if we were to try to update it, we might say something like, look, listen, see, here in verse 4, usually when you have that behold word, usually it comes on the front end of some sort of significant statement or significant act that's going to take place. Notice that here, the significant dramatic act that takes place is, behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Right. That's usually what the response is, okay? In the telling of the story, in this particular scene, the point is this. When Abram has doubts about what God has said, what God has promised, when Abram is confused, when Abram wants more insight and more direction, what does God do? to convince or reassure Abram that his promise is trustworthy. He talks to him. He speaks to him. Do you see the way that this works? In one sense, it almost, it, you could almost approach this as it being cruel. The question that Abraham has is whether or not the word that God has spoken to him is going to be fulfilled. What does God give Abram in response? Another word. I think then that one of the things we ought to consider in Genesis 15 is that one of the kindest, most gracious things that God can do. For people who doubt, or people who waver in unbelief, even though they're clinging to the last ounce or shred of hope that they have, the kindest thing that God can do is to give us His Word. The kindest thing that God can do when I am frantic is to say, listen to what I have said. Look." At what I have declared, behold, the word of the Lord came to Jonathan Merritt. Behold, the word of the Lord comes to you to assure you and convince you of the certainty of God's promises, which means that one of the things that you need to do, one of the things that I need to do when I wrestle with doubt and uncertainty is not to go try to find someone or something else to bolster or boost my confidence. Rather, I have to take myself back to the Word of God and say, I'm going to beat this into my heart and mind until the Word of God thoroughly convinces me that this is true and God is trustworthy. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. If you try to build your confidence, your certainty, your security on anyone or anything else in life, you are going to find it a fool's errand because no one is going to be able to give you the confidence. No thing, no acquisition, no sign, no miracle is going to be able to give you the kind of confidence that the word of God can give you. If you don't think this is true, just look in the pages of Scripture at how many people got miraculous signs. Did that cure them of doubt and unbelief? No. They continued to sin. They continued to disobey. They continued to wander because they were not thoroughly convinced. The Word of the Lord is what we need in our times of doubt. Parents, grandparents, the best thing that you can do for your children and for your grandchildren is to feed them a steady diet of God's Word. There's so much junk and garbage out in the world today that passes as so-called knowledge and wisdom that won't amount to anything. So much in this life that we're told if we have this, if this is what the foundation is that we can stand on, we can do something, we can be something, we can be confident in this life, and it is nothing but sand that is shifted this way and that by the currents of life. He speaks to Abram to settle his mind. God speaks to you and He speaks to me in His Word to settle our minds, to convince us, to make us certain of His promise. It's God's Word that convinces us of the promises. There is no other way to do it. It is the Spirit of God working in our hearts and minds to convince us of the truthfulness of God's Word. Just like here with Abram, Abram's doubt and his confusion and his fearfulness and anxiety is going to be cured by another encounter with the Word of God. It's the Word that convinces us. It's the Word that convicts us. It's the Word that secures us. But the second thing that happens here is that as Abram encounters God's word again, as God gives him more insight and understanding, we have this quintessential response by Abram recorded for us in verse 6. After he takes Abram outside and says, look to the heavens, look at the stars, if you can count the stars, that's how many descendants you'll have. We're told in verse 6... That Abram believed in the Lord and it was credited or reckoned to him as righteousness. We have just spent the first part of this time hammering away the importance of the Word of God. Notice in verse 6, though, where Abram's faith is directed. Then Abram believed what? A doctrine? A formula? A verse? Well, yes, that's true. But ultimately, who did Abraham believe? God. Part of the difficulty that we have in finding confidence and assurance in the Word of God is that we divorce or separate God's Word from who He is. If all you do is approach Scripture as a verse a day keeps the devil away, or I've got this big dilemma at work, where am I going to find answers as to what I'm going to do? or me and the wife are having issues again, let me go to the code book and figure out what I'm supposed to do now. Right? But there's no way or no sense in which the Scriptures point you back to the One who spoke them, you're falling short. Abram doesn't need to be assured of some catchphrase of some pithy little statement, Abram needs to be reassured that God can be trusted. And that's why God gives us His Word. Not so that we have a text that we can study, not so that we can put on religious, philosophical airs, but so that we can know Him. Hold your place here and go to Romans chapter 4. Look at what Paul does, referring to this episode. Romans chapter 4, start at verse 17. you have the little parenthetical statement that starts at the beginning of verse 17 that really is piggybacking off of the first verse or the previous verse. So start with me in verse 17 where it says, in the presence of him whom he believed. So it's sort of maybe midway or a third of the way through the verse. I'm going to pick up there in verse 17. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet. With respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform, therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness." Do you hear what's being said there? The word that Abram receives is ultimately a word that is to draw him back to God. God says, Abram, I am going to give you a descendant from your own body. You are not going to have to hand over your estate to your administrator. I'm going to give you an heir. Abram, step outside with me. Look at the stars. Where did these stars come from, Abram? They were nowhere. You know how they got here? I told them to appear. I called them out of nothing into existence. Abram, you have nothing, but you're nothing I can call into existence. I can make a descendant for you. It is no effort to me. It is no struggle. And now Abram has the opportunity, do I believe that God is able to do the impossible and that because He's promised to do it, He'll do it? Is God reliable? Is God trustworthy? Is God omnipotent? Because the promise of all these things is good and grand, but if the God behind the promise is not who He claims to be, the promise is hollow and empty. You better have someone who can back the promise up. And that's where Abram put his faith. Not in a formula, not in a statement bare and barren, but in the God who spoke it. Our struggles in the Christian life will present us with this same challenge. It will present us with a challenge in which, over and over and over again, we will go back to the Word of God to say, hasn't God promised, didn't God say, to reassure ourselves. And yet, just like Abram, even though God assured Abram by His Word, even though God promised again that he would have many descendants you realize that still, all Abram has to go on is the word of promise. He's not going to step back into his tent and find Sarah with a little bit of a baby pooch. Nothing is going to change. What Abram still has to do, he still has to take, okay, yes, this is one more word from the Lord. I'm going to take it and I'm going to cling to it. But all of these promises that I'm clinging to ultimately don't mean anything if God cannot be trusted, if God cannot do what He said He will do. You have to bring it back to putting your trust in God. When God says that He is able to give you life, when He says that He is able to give you Victory over sin, that you don't have to be a slave to your lust, that you don't have to succumb to temptation. That is a tremendous promise. But if God does not have the power to make good on that promise, it means little to nothing. When you go to the Word of God, when you rehearse these things in your mind. When you grab them and you try to press them down deep into your heart, you need to let the Word turn your face and your gaze and your mind's eye to the God who is making the promise. And it's by believing God. It's by believing that God can do what He has said He will do that God says, if you are willing to just, just simply do that, just to trust me, that's all I want. That's all I'm looking for. Your faith is what counts. You, just trust me. That's all I'm asking you to do. Abram believed in God and God credited that trust, that belief as righteousness. In other words, as far as God was concerned, simply because Abram trusted God, because Abram believed that God was trustworthy and would make good on His promise, God said, I don't need anything else from you, Abram. You and I are right. You stand in right relationship with Me simply because you trust Me. Abraham is not going to stand in right relationship to God because he is going to be God's co-worker with him to help him make good on the promise. The verse does not say, Abram committed himself to work, therefore he was declared righteous. It does not say, That Abraham was a new man. Therefore, he was declared righteous. It does not say that Abraham committed himself to making this change and that change. Therefore, it was committed or it was declared that he was righteous. It is simply that Abraham trusted, believed what God had said. Believed that God would do it. And that's what counted as his right standing. Let Let me fast forward a little bit to the application that Paul wants to make to us when it comes to justification by faith. We have promises that God has spoken to us through His Word. One of the promises that we have is forgiveness. Another promise that we have is that we will be declared right before God that there is nothing that stands between us and the Lord, that we have been made righteous, that we have been declared right, that we have been made saints. When you read those promises, when those promises are given to you, do you ever look and examine your life and say, what I see right now does not look anything like what I'm reading in Scripture"? Some of you are shaking your head, all of you should be shaking your head. What do you do when you come to God's Word and you say, this is what it says, but none of this looks real in my life? When when is this going to happen? And I think what the Lord would say, would have us understand is, Merit, your concern is not how. Your concern is not when. Your concern is not necessarily even why. Your concern is, do you believe that I am able to do this for you? Okay, but Lord, you don't understand. I've been battling this sin. I've been battling this person. I've been working my way through this valley for fill in the blank. And I don't seem to be making any headway or any progress. Merit, that is not the issue. Do you believe that I am able to purify and sanctify you? Do you believe that I am able to sustain you? Do you believe that I am able to create reconciliation? Do you believe that I'm able to do that? Are you willing to wait for me to do that? And God in His grace and mercy says, Merritt, if if you just are willing to trust me, that's, that's all I'm looking for. That's all I want. We are right in our relationship with each other if you simply trust Me. Now do not misunderstand what I'm saying. If you are misunderstanding, it's because I'm doing a poor job communicating. We will see as we continue on in the, in the Abram narrative that trusting God does not mean that Abram merely sits around twilling his thumbs. He does not go completely passive or anything like that. In fact, one of the miracles of justification by faith, one of the miracles of the Abram narrative is this shocking realization that when the Lord calls you something, He then makes you what He calls you. He calls Abram a father of many nations. What will He make Abram? He'll make him a father of many nations, even though if you look at Abram, he does not look like a father of many nations, but because that's what God has called him, that's what God will make him. Similarly, when God says, I have promised that I will make you holy because he has called you a saint, he will make you a saint. Do you believe that? Do you believe that because that's what God has called you, that's what He will transform you into? If you believe that God is willing and able to do that, you are well on your way to realizing and seeing the promises of God fulfilled in your life. So it's God's Word that convinces. It's our faith that counts Third point and the last thing that we want to touch on. God gives a covenant to confirm His Word. God gives a covenant to confirm His Word. Again, it's a bit odd, it's a bit awkward that we have this dramatic statement in verse 6, Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. God says in verse 7, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Verse 8, what does Abram say? Yeah, how do I know that this is going to happen? Whoa! whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Abram, verse 6, you believed in the Lord and it was credited to you as righteousness. God was pleased with that. Why are you still asking questions two verses later? Why don't you just say, yes, Lord, that's going to happen? By the way, a little word of encouragement here, You, you understand that part of what's going on, Abram is not, the issue is not that Abram doubts God's reliability, verse 6, he believes, he trusts the Lord. It's not that he doesn't think that the promise is not going to be fulfilled, it's just that he doesn't know how it's going to be filled, how am I going to know that this is good and certain? In other words, this is Abram exercising a faith that is still seeking understanding. Faith. Seeking understanding. Do not mix those two up. Don't, Don't flip them. Don't say, I need understanding so that I can have faith. It won't work. Faith seeking understanding. It is okay for you and me, wrestling with the promises of God... To say things like, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, it's okay. It is okay for us wrestling with God's Word to say, I know that this is true, I believe that You can be counted on, that You are trustworthy, and to say, but how is this going to take shape? That's okay. Look at how good and kind and patient God is with Abram. What does God do for Abram when he asks, how will I know that this is going to happen? He enters into a ceremony, a covenant-cutting ceremony, that only God participates in a covenant is made between at least two people, it ought to be that when you split the animal halves and you walk through it, binding yourself to the covenant obligations, it ought to be that you have both parties of the covenant walking through together. God makes a covenant with Abram, and He makes sure that Abram can't get in the way to mess things up. He puts him to sleep. And he says, Abram, here's how you know that this will be. Here's how you know, because I am going an extra step, I'm going the extra mile, not just to say that this will happen, but to bind myself by a covenant to you that I am going to be responsible for on my own. That's how you can know. Abraham, relax. I'll take on the covenant obligations. That's how you can know. Do you see? The covenant is not for God. God knows what He's going to do. God doesn't doubt His ability or His commitment to making good on the promise. The covenant is not for God. The covenant is for the benefit of Abram. How do you know, Edgewood, That God will make good on His promises to you. God cut a covenant for you. And He did it in the body of His own Son. That's how you know. So that just like Abram, when he says... I believe that the Lord is going to be good on this. I believe that He is trustworthy. How can I know for certain? Give me just another measure of grace to solidify and to make me steadfast. How can I know that, Lord? And the Lord says, okay, Abram, I will give you another measure of assurance. I will cut covenant with you, but I'll do it myself. You stay out of the way. In the same way we go through Scripture... And we're wrestling with the promises of God, with the guarantees and the commitments that God has made. And you know what comes to us? Behold, the Word comes to us. The Word, the living Word, Jesus Christ. You understand that's the model that's going on here? The Word that came to Abram comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. To say, all of these promises, all of these statements, you want to be reassured that I am able to do this? Look, here is the word in flesh. I can do this. But how can I know for sure? Okay, fine. Move out of the way. Let me cut covenant with you so that when you look at this covenant act, you can know for certain that all of this is coming your way, and He kills His own Son in order to show the certainty of His promises to us. Is God going to go back on the death of His Son? The Son came to cut covenant with us, to give us security. Is the Father going to make His Son out to be a liar? Is the Father going to waste that covenant-cutting sacrifice? On a whim, all you have to do is look to the cross. If God did not spare His own Son, but offered Him up for us all, Paul says, how will He not also with Him, with Christ, freely... Give us all things. This is the life of faith. This is what you're going to live when you wake up tomorrow morning and you go to the workplace or you go to the classroom or you wrestle with the kids or you have to change a flat tire. You're wrestling with the fact that the world around you does not look to be changed in any certain way, and yet God has said. You're wrestling with the fact that so often you don't seem to be changed, and yet God has said. And because God has said, we will believe in God, and He will count that as righteousness for us. And when we are tempted to waver or to doubt, we will look at the death of his son on the cross and say, there is no way that God will not fulfill every good word that he has spoken because it cost his son his life. I'll wait. He's good for it. I'll wait. He can do it. And then I'm going to plod along. Plod. Plod. I want a sprint. I want the mountaintop. But more than likely, I'm going to plod. God help me be faithful. Plodding. Let's pray. Father, we are so very weak. We grow tired. We grow frustrated. In our physical, emotional, and even spiritual fatigue, we are tempted to doubt Your love for us. We are tempted to doubt the surety of Your Word and Your promises to us. Father, thank You that by Your Holy Spirit, You continue to renew our hearts and minds so that every day, even in the weakness of our flesh, we can have our hope restored for the blessings that are to come. Thank you that in your grace and in your mercy you have already given us the privilege of tasting, tasting the blessings that one day will be ours in full. The very fact that we want to see your goodness is a sign that you are changing us. The very fact that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness is itself a sign that you are at work in our midst. Father, if we were to ever doubt when we come into those times of weakness, would you quickly turn our eyes to the work of Christ on our behalf and see again with fresh perspective the certainty that because all of the promises given to us are cut on the very body of Jesus Christ, we can rest confident and assured that everything that you have spoken to us will be given to us. We thank you for the goodness of your word. We thank you that your word is good because you are good. Help us to live like that in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. As we close, I thought it would be appropriate to close with the same song we started with, Every Promise. Uh, So let's continue to praise him and respond to that wonderful message that God has given Jonathan and spoken through Jonathan, Every Promise. Would you stand as we sing? From the breaking of the dawn to the setting of the sun, I will stand on every promise of your word. Words of power strong to say that will never pass away. I will stand. I am secure I can stand On every promise Of your word When I stumble When I stumble Condemnation Pressing in I will stand On every promise Of your word You are faithful to forgive that in freedom I might live. So I stand on every promise of your word. Guilt to innocence restored. You remember sins no more. So I'll stand I will listen for your voice And I'll stand on every promise of your word Through this dark and troubled land You will guide me with your hand As I stand on every promise of your stand on every promise of your let's sing about that hope amen hope that lifts me from despair love that casts out every fear and i stand on every promise of your word I stand on every promise of of your word. Amen.
0: I just wanted to make it clear. I think you were all applauding and may not have heard Alan. I just want to be sure that everybody heard the fact that the affirmation for Jonathan was at 92 percent. So just there was a tremendous response from almost everybody. So just wanted to let you know that. And uh, Just be sure people were asking me specifics and just wanted to let the body know it was 92%. Thank you.